Hate crime or hoax? Nothing gets past the all-seeing eyes. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Uh, regular time, Saturday afternoon, 3 to 6. Today I am moving around, always for a little bit of UGA sports on Saturdays. I'm on today from noon to 2, taking calls. We are live, 404-872-0750 and 800-WSB-TALK. So uh, the big news this week, I mean, as my mom would say, it's just a slow news week. That's why it's big news. But it's uh, this Jesse Smollett hoax, or was it a hoax? Is it a hoax within a hoax? I don't know. But he said that he was the victim of a hate crime. And then uh, the police came out with (laughs) what seems like hundreds of hours of police work to discover that he was the actual criminal in filing a false report. There's been a lot of media. Uh, Yet, last I heard, he continues to maintain his innocence. And I did see a trickle of debunking the debunking coming through. So we don't know if there's another shoe to drop here if if he's going to be redeemed in the end as having told the truth all along. But in any case, I think we're supposed to believe that he, whether his story is actually happened, he is speaking the truth. So facts are facts, but truth is truth. That is the meme of the year, I think. And uh, I have a few whether or not this is a hoax, I don't know. I mean, I, I usually think everything is highly orchestrated, especially the way the media is dealing with it, the way the uh, government authorities are dealing with it. It seems fairly scripted, well-paced. But after the MAGA hat kids event in D.C., when it looked to me those kids were absolutely Uh, unaware of what was unfolding around them, I started to think maybe things aren't quite as fake as they appear. Maybe some things are real and uh, narratives emerge around them that uh, serve a purpose. Everyone's always waiting in the wings to exploit a crisis, as Rahm Emanuel always said. So with this, I I don't know. I I went back and forth a little bit. Uh, Ultimately, though, I do believe Jesse Smollett has such a history, such a family history of, uh, let's call it activism. There were articles written about it. His mother was tight with Black Panthers. My producer, Binkley, and I did a podcast yesterday. Uh, Binkley, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. Uh, is that podcast up? Should we direct people to that? or Yeah, it's up, it's up on the website. Oh, do you happen to know the episode number? I I think it's 128. All right. So you can go to The Prop Report, short for The Propaganda Report, thepropreport.com. And the most recent episode looks like 128 is uh, we did on kind of the backstory of Jesse Smollett and his family, uh, how some of these things can be used for uh, civil rights activism more than PR stunts. It's It's claimed that he did this as a PR stunt for his own personal gain, but that doesn't really match the kind of deeper history of him and his family. But for me, two other interesting uh, themes emerged from this story that made me kind of dig in a little bit more. One is the very idea, I just stumbled upon this really interesting law review article about if hate crime legislation is effective if it serves the purpose it's intended to serve and what the conclusion was that it's actually counterproductive or certainly might be and should be further studied. This is a Pace Law Review article from the fall of 2016 called The Negative Ramifications of Hate Crime Legislation. It's time to reevaluate whether hate crime laws are beneficial to society. So I tweeted that at Monica Perez Show over the past couple of days, and I read it. It's very interesting. I can read you some passages from that. Uh, One of the things this uh, author notes immediately is that only five states do not have hate crime legislation, and Georgia is one of them. So I mentioned that to Binkley, and he said, oh, they just proposed it in Gwinnett, 
And I found the article about it. Of course, it's a Republican because it always takes a Republican to get this stuff uh, passed. I tweeted that, too, at Monica Perez Show. So you might want to not support that legislation because it seems to have some uh, perverse impacts, unintended consequences, although I never believe things are unintended consequences, but it uh, it backfires. The hate crime stuff backfires, and I'll read you some passages about that uh, later on in the show. But one, But the topic that interested me more urgently and is absolutely in Georgia, coming to Georgia, there's lots of stuff in uh, the Atlanta area that is pertinent to this. I had just read two articles, one about Dunwoody, one about DeKalb, where the police want to use private cameras in their surveillance network, including the cameras on the Ring doorbell monitoring service. So... I had just read these articles, and lo, when I was listening and reading uh, reports about the Jesse Smollett hoax, or who knows, hoaxer than a hoax, in Chicago, the police, I was shocked at how much effort they put into uncovering, because he wasn't really hurt, because right? I mean, he it took him 40 minutes to call the cops. So Binkley was speculating that he just had to eat that Subway sandwich he went out in the freezing cold to get. Can't but waste it. it. He said it again. Can't waste it. No, and you know they're so. If it's getting you out in that freezing cold weather, <laughs> then you're hungry. So uh, he, so the the cops went bananas tracking down the you know Chicago, which has such a high rate of violent crime. You hear it all the time, and uh, and minorities are the victims of murder in that city. And the uh, and the cop was complaining. I wish. That the victims of violent gun crime, and I heard uh, this theme emerge on the mainstream media as well, got the kind of press that this hoax got, that his story got. And I'm thinking, got the kind of press? How about the kind of police activity? How about weeks of, I mean, I have quotes here about them looking at, uh, at uh, they executed more than 50 search warrants and subpoenas. They, I mean... To to figure out that this guy who wasn't really hurt was uh, telling the truth or not. So I would uh, it was just a very strange story. But what what the essence of the police reporting was, certainly the police press, the media approach by the police is to tout the importance of this network of surveillance. So in Chicago, again, high crime. They have the largest surveillance network in the country. It's it, uh, this article, a great article in Activist Post, said more than 32,000 cameras mounted on buildings, poles, trains, tunnels, uh, even businesses and private private residences whose owners agree to opt into the system full time. So that's important. Right now, they they have to agree to opt in, but who knows? That's what I want to dive into a little bit and uh, talk about how that impacts. The uh, Atlanta and Georgia, it's totally a wider spread thing, but it's unfolding without a lot of media attention, um, without a lot of legislation right here at home. So uh, let's let me see. I wonder if we have time right now. You know what? Let's talk. Let Binkley, I would like to hear this just set the, the tone of how the what the police did in Chicago in using surveillance, everything in their efforts to solve this uh, non-crime. And let's get into that. Uh, let me hear that now. If you the smart mind. policing this? technology. Who is this? Who's speaking? This is one of the cops at the press conference. I don't remember his name. But it, OK, so it was a cop at the press conference. Yeah. I was watching the press conference. So OK, let's hear what he has to say. Started searching the area for video cameras and witnesses that could help us with our investigation. Uh, during that time frame, we, we interviewed over 100 individuals in a canvas of the area and a follow-up canvas as our investigation expanded. We located approximately 35 of our Chicago police pod cameras in the area and in the areas that we determined these two uh, these two persons of interest fled 
We additionally found over 20 private sector cameras, and uh, I, I got to say that that was that was super useful in this investigation. The city came together to investigate and help the police with this crime. It was because of these pod cameras, our investment in, in into technology in the city of Chicago, and the the uh, great. Uh, uh, assistance from the community in giving us those other cameras that led us to a really solid timeline of where our two persons of interest went. So in short, we were able to track them initially, initially forward. So after the crime, we were able to see that they fled uh, in a particular direction. Okay. And I don't to hear what they thought. Uh, so... He's emphasizing that was an ad for the investment in technology. Mm -hmm. It was a an ad for to put social pressure on people to cooperate. And uh, he talks about pod cameras. What is pod? Police Shift. observation devices. Okay, so when so here's my my issue with this stuff. If they have the right to monitor us all the time. If that is something they do not need a search warrant for, and that is what this stuff is, then I would say, I mean, their their right to defend us is simply an extension of our right to defend ourselves. So if they are claiming that this is in defense, uh, then what they have a right to, we have a right to. They would have no right to anything without us delegating that right to them. So any camera that they use, that they monitor in my opinion, should have a live streaming URL attached so that every single person can view exactly what they are viewing because it's our right to self-defense. There's no national security issues. Of course, they'll make that up. They'll say there's a lot. But if there's a privacy issue at all, they shouldn't have it either. So uh, I want to talk more about that, take some calls on that, 404 750 1-800-WSB-TALK, uh, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. Back. I, so what we were just talking about is this uh, surveillance network in Chicago that Atlanta has it, too. And I want to talk about that at the bottom of the hour coming up after the next break. But one one thing that I think it's important to understand is or a connection I made that I want to share. I look at this stuff and I say, don't give me police surveillance. Just give me the Second Amendment. That's what I don't need the surveillance. And I know this. I think of that because I've known numerous people from Europe who complain about street crime. And I and and that for them justifies the surveillance. They want it. They're calling for it in the typical Edward Bernays style. Make people want what you want them to have. Have them pull. Don't push it. So they use this uh, intolerable street crime as an excuse for uh, total surveillance all the time. And I believe that we don't have that. Because we have the Second Amendment, and people don't cry out for it. They just think, well, I'll just protect myself, especially at home. But now this is what I think is screwy. Uh, there have been so many times where police or government agents will kill somebody in his own home, protecting his castle. And maybe they're doing that so that you're, you're hesitant to have your own protection at home. And the... the uh, case that comes to mind it is such an upsetting case and it gets no press i can't even get to the bottom of it i don't really have the resources for independent journalism uh like that but but someone should address this it's william david powell was a man in his 60s a police call came to the wrong address in the middle of the night i think it was shortly after midnight in henry county and he heard prowlers so he got his gun he went to the garage he opened the garage door and as he opened the door uh, according to his wife, the only witness who was not a police officer, they opened fire without announcing themselves. That's what she says. The grand jury refused to indict the policeman, uh, but 
she was not heard by them. She wanted to tell them what she saw, and she was not heard by them. And when I looked at the the reporting on it, it was minimal, and I couldn't see if they had seen police footage with audio to make that determination. So that's why if we're, if the police have these this footage, then it can be withheld, redacted, edited. It could be used simply for their favor and not for our protection. So, and... The Second Amendment is being neutralized simply by that, by making you a target if you exercise that right and they get away with it. So I would just urge you to look into William David Powell's story and let's talk more about what's happening here in Atlanta and the surrounding areas uh, regarding this pervasive surveillance state. This is Monica Perez, 800 WSB Talk uh, at Monica Perez Show. Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are talking about a few of the themes that have come out of the Jesse Smollett story, the actor in Chicago who claimed and continues to claim that he was the victim of a violent hate crime. The police in Chicago weirdly are making definitive statements that it's a hoax and that he lied. And they're uh, criticizing him with emotion. It's very, it all smacks as rather staged. But there are a couple of the themes that I, uh, or threads I wanted to pull on this. One is that they're touting the value of their surveillance. They put a lot of effort into into figuring out the true story here, and they talk about how great it is that basically every corner, every, every nook and niche in the city is under constant surveillance, and they have access to it. So... Watch out. Anyway, this is coming here, though. It's it's everywhere, and it doesn't seem to get much debate. They talk about costs, but not about privacy. And my argument is that if they have a right to this kind of information, constant surveillance, it can only be an extension of our right. And our so, – so they should – every one of those cameras that the police monitor – that monitoring should be available to us. It should have a live streaming URL so that we can find it unedited, unadulterated in real time as a way for us to exercise our right of self-defense, which we share. We extend to them the privilege of sharing in our right to self-defense. That is where all their power and authority comes from. And uh, that's where, so if they have a right to it as a preemptive security measure, so do we. And I think that we should think of it that way and hold them to that standard. And if people don't like that, well, then that's the discussion you have to say. I don't want everybody, I don't want my neighbors to see it. Okay, well, then the police don't get to see it either, right? Let's have that discussion. Uh, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to Kurt in Marietta. Hi, Kurt. Uh, you're on with Monica. Hi, Monica. I want to say that I agree very much that citizens exercising their gun carry rights is a great way to keep people safer on the streets, either with or as a substitute for increased surveillance. And I want to say that it's much easier now to get a carry permit in Georgia and many other states that have relaxed or liberalized their laws on this subject compared to a decade or even 20 years ago. Uh, Georgia's had a lot of reforms in this area. We've eliminated the public gathering prohibition. We've redefined what government buildings are off limits. There's no more. You know who's uh, responsible for that, Kurt? GeorgiaCarry.org. Yes, Jerry Henry. I am a member. Are you? I thought maybe you were because I had him on the show once, and he, I was shocked to find what an abysmally low rating Georgia had. When uh, yeah. when you guys started your work and how it's just went through the roof. It's an example, I think, for uh, Garland Favrito at Voter GA to take our abysmal voting transparency record and elevate it. I've told him that you guys are a perfect example of local activity, action. Yes, thank you. It's, uh, it's amazing the changes that we've made. When I came here to Georgia 30 years ago, I, I had come from New York. 
I carried a, a pistol in New York. It was difficult to get the permit there. But when I had the permit, I could carry pretty much unrestricted anywhere. Were you in former Georgia, law enforcement? Uh, no. Because I no. never heard of anyone in New York getting a permit, New York City, who was not LEO. Well, this, well, this is Western New York, and got I, I got it from two angles. I was an armed guard for a motor carrier service, oh, okay. and mm-hmm. uh, I was a hobbyist, so I was a got member it. of a bona fide shooting yep. club. But here in Georgia, it was easy to get the permit, but you couldn't use it anywhere legally. If you carried a gun daily for protection, you would inadvertently break the law three or four times per day because of all the off-limits locations you would pass through. And that's not the case anymore. That's awesome. Thank you so much for calling. I want to add a couple of things to that. One is that the uh, crime rate has absolutely plummeted across the country since the 90s. I mean, plummeted. And I attribute that to two things um or i you know it's not crystal clear what the causation is one i love to promote and the other i don't love to promote but i think it may be true so i try to be honest um one is what exactly what kurt is saying that it's it's much easier to exercise your second amendment right and to me there's uh i i think there are enough statistics to say in this country anyway a one-to-one correlation between or a close correlation between um, armed citizens and lower crime. Uh, But the other thing is that there were all these higher incarceration laws put into place back then, three strikes and whatever. And a lot of that is I actually um, have seen many examples of uh, corruption in the prison industrial complex leading to these higher strike law, uh, these higher incarceration rates, everything like that. However, uh, I have to admit it may be possible, maybe true, I don't know, that by incarcerating people who, by having stricter penalties or incarcerating people maybe who just engage in arm's length drug transactions are going to jail for that, but would also engage in violent crimes, uh, so you put them in the in jail for the wrong reason, but it, it can reduce crime. I would call it a type two error, a statistical error, type two error. Where you put too many people in jail, innocent people go to jail. But but it did. I think it might have that impact. Now, I would say that jail like that. So we do need some criminal reform, but I don't want it to result in higher crime rates. But I do want it to result in lower incarceration rates. And I would say no one should ever be incarcerated for a crime that is not a crime against person or property. So a a mala in say, a bad in itself crime. Uh, So you should never go to jail for prostitution or dealing drugs. If you kill people when you're dealing drugs, yes. But. Uh, And I don't believe in plea bargains. I think that they're a moral hazard in both directions. You shouldn't be threatened with jail so that you uh, give up your property or your rights or whatever. So I think criminal reform needs to criminal justice reform needs to happen, but it's not headed in the right direction. Uh, But I do think that these wrongly high incarceration rates may have contributed to this lower crime. But in any case, uh, there's plenty of studies that will Uh, demonstrate that higher gun ownership rates by law-abiding citizens or just regular Second Amendment uh, exercises of Second Amendment does uh, uh, give you the power so you don't need the surveillance state. Uh, Let's uh, take another call. I'm going to Peter uh, on Buford Highway. Hey, Peter, you're on with Monica. Hey, I need some time to cook this. I want to describe the story of Gina near the Georgia Tech area. Um, there have been nine armed robberies over there. If there were cameras that are cheap and monitored by citizens or the government, they could drive out these criminals that are coming in to hurt people. And so why in countries not just have and regions of the let me say something. In, in, in regions of the <laughs> no, United you can't States, talk. This isn't your bully pulpit. Let's have a conversation. That's what the, okay, the lines okay. are for. So why not? What's wrong with having armed citizens? Wouldn't you you rather defend yourself than than hope that a camera is monitored and have somebody with that lag time? I don't think that's a very effective way to protect yourself. Okay, I heard what you said. But in regions that don't have cameras like Louisiana and Houston, there's a lot of crime that goes on that the police and the government cannot take care of. People get away with assaulting people. There are armed robberies, carjackings. 
These affect Hispanics, blacks, and whites, and immigrants, okay? There's nothing wrong with a cheap camera. It's better than having somebody come up to you with a Ronald McDonald mask and knock you down with a, a broken bottle, okay? No, there, there are actually problems with the cameras. I, I appreciate your position, Peter, uh, but I do uh, – there are – I think that the benefits of the cameras that you are talking about – presuming that they do get followed up on like i think it's weird that chicago has has the biggest surveillance network in the country and it has such a notoriously high crime rate and yet they allocate their resources to this very high profile but low impact maybe crime you know they they put the resources in uncovering that it was a hoax so not even that it was a violent crime i think that the benefits of the surveillance are over over um emphasized and the risks are underemphasized and certainly uh underreported i'm going to tell you i'm going to tell you a story about something that happened in uh, in Atlanta, the situation here that I never heard of, and I only came upon this data by just digging into to what the uh, the surveillance status is here. Let me let me just start. I'm not going to be able to finish it before the break, but let me just start. I'm reading an article called uh, the headline is Atlanta Police Surveillance and Its Secret Funders. So it says, for crime-fearing citizens like Peter, the announcement uh, the city of Atlanta recently emailed reporters seems good news. The city is expanding its network of video surveillance to the tune of $2.1 million. But some civil liberties advocates aren't too pleased. The video network in question has Atlanta police monitoring not just city equipment, but privately owned cameras as well. And most of the $2 million in funding for what the news release louds as a public-private partnership is coming not from the city, but from community partners. The city's share is just 450000 The Atlanta Police Foundation won't say who those partners are. The foundation says the private donations come from residents living in the district. The statement thanks the foundation, neighborhood civic associations, businesses, and other stakeholders. Uh, that all concerns Jay Stanley. When you provide money, you gain control. Uh, Stanley works on privacy rights and free speech at the ACLU in Washington. And he wrote a report. I saw this report from 2004 uh, called The Surveillance Industrial Complex, how the American government is conscripting businesses and individuals in the construction of a surveillance society. But the... The article skips to the end. It says the private donations aren't the first. The city in 2012 announced a private gift to support its hub for video monitoring there. I think that might be called Operation Shield or it's part of it. There, city police get the feeds from government and private cameras and use smart computer software to analyze the video. It's called the Loudermilk Video Integration Center after Atlanta businessman and benefactor Charlie Loudermilk and his family. Buckhead VIPs and philanthropists who donated a million dollars to make it happen. In an unrelated twist, Loudermilk, now retired, founded Aaron Rents, a company that faced accusations recently of enabling spying on customers by its independent franchisees via monitoring software on computers they rented. Well, I followed up on that, and I'll tell you after the break what uh, what came of that case. It was not as innocuous and possibly not as unrelated as that would make you think. So stay tuned and uh, you can call 800 WSB Talk or tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Yeah! Monica Perez. I'm not interested in fantasy. I'm interested in reality. On News 955 at AM 750 WSB. We're digging deep into the local surveillance efforts here in Atlanta and other places. Um, and I'm not picking on Atlanta. It's absolutely sweeping the country. Chicago was touting how great their surveillance network was in uncovering the very dangerous criminal activities of Jesse, Jesse Smollett, who may or may not have staged uh, a hate crime. I do want to talk about that um, uh, coming up, but I, I think it's important for us to, to talk about this pros and cons or if you want the surveillance stuff and i do think a good litmus test is to say anything 
that a government agent can watch without a specific warrant that complies with the Fourth Amendment is in the public domain. We own it, and we should all be able to see it. And and if you don't like that we all see it, then there's a privacy issue, and they shouldn't have it either. So uh, Binkley, my producer here, was telling me, and he's told me about this before, Part you know, that I've read about this pre-crime monitoring. So what they, they do is they... They say, oh, we can tell where a crime's about to happen and go there. And, of course, any old beat cop can do that, right? That's that's pretty clear. But what you had a, a bigger concerns, right, Binkley? Well, the technology that they're using in Chicago is predictive. And with the 5G and the Internet of Things, it's going to be able to collect mass data. They're going to pull it from social media, and they'll be able to create behavioral and psychological profiles in an instant. The ones in Chicago already know when people who have been convicted of a crime are in the area, and the cameras focus in on them. So in the future, when 5G is widespread, they'll be able to know what people are going to do before people themselves know, and they can start arresting people before they do anything. And here's the thing. So when you talk about it like that uh, and we you talk about the pros and cons, you think, well, uh, it's uh, annoying to have your privacy violated, but it will stop crime. But that's assuming they're going to that their interests are aligned with ours and that they're going to use it to stop crime. In reality, government gets bigger and better centralized power when you're afraid. So they don't actually want crimes to go down. And if they're using the, I I mean, that's a big statement. I'm sure people could argue with it. But I'm just saying, theoretically, there's conflict of interest. And I see it with uh, a lot of events that have happened that have had the result of increasing crime in recent years. But they're not going to necessarily use it to stop crime. They can easily use it to target you for your political beliefs by arresting you for something totally different or... Um, you know, watching your every move so that they can uh, just harass you. They can harass you for every little thing and make your life miserable until you wise up and back off whatever right you're trying to defend. But there's so I've got to tell you about this Aaron Rent to Own uh, story after the break. You can tweet at me at Monica Parisha. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to do. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. My normal slot is Saturday afternoons from 3 to 6. Right now I'm on noon to 2. It's Sunday live. You may call 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. We are uh, in this halfway through this conversation about not the surface stuff you're hearing about the Jesse Smollett hoax or supposed hoax. He says it's not a hoax where the actor claimed to be the victim of a hate crime in Chicago and the Chicago police through tireless police work and a vast, vast network of surveillance cameras, public and private, uh, discovered that he... uh, that it wasn't true. So I don't know why they decided to put all that effort in. Maybe I do know. We'll get to that uh, in a little while, why perhaps they put that extra effort in. But I started thinking, I was prompted by this great article in the Activist Post saying that uh, the big scary thing about the Jesse Smollett story is this crazy network of cameras. And I'd noticed stories like this emerging out of Atlanta many times. And I uh, I just started Googling around, found uh, uh, quite a few of them. I just had to give up on the research because I was overwhelmed by it. But here's one of the articles I was just reading from on this show. If you missed it, you can go to uh, thepropreport.com in a few days and find that, the podcast of this show and other shows, all of our shows, commercial-free. Thank you, WSB. Uh, All right. So the article I was reading from is called Atlanta Police Surveillance and its Secret Funders. It's about how uh, there are private interests funding the surveillance network. And at the end of that article, I'm going to reread just this last paragraph. The private donation, uh, the latest private donations aren't the first. The city in 2012 announced a private gift to support its hub for video monitoring. There, city police get the feeds from government and private cameras and use smart computer software to analyze the video. It's called the Loudermilk Video Integration Center after Atlanta businessman and benefactor Charlie Loudermilk and his family, Buckhead VIPs and philanthropists who donated a million dollars to make it happen. In an unrelated twist, 
So why, how do they know it's unrelated? In an unrelated twist, Loudermilk, now retired, founded Aaron Rents, a company that faced accusations recently of enabling spying on customers by its independent franchisees via monitoring software on computers they rented. So let me just read you the paragraph from AtlantaPoliceFoundation.org, um, which is right on, up now on their website, called Surveillance Camera Network, Atlanta Police Foundation. This is one paragraph. The Loudermilk Video Integration Center is a cutting-edge facility that serves as the hub for Operation Shield. Uh, I think I first read about Operation Shield as a pre-crime, um, you know, crime deterrent. They monitor you first and wait for you to commit the crime or not, I guess, is the ultimate goal. I don't know, but it's, it's definitely a surveillance operation. The VIC houses a team of analysts. The Video Integration Center houses a team of analysts who manage the city's more than 7,800 surveillance camera network. Over the three-year campaign, the network will be expanded to more than 10,000 cameras, providing unprecedented crime deterrence potential and the capacity to solve crimes and take criminals off the streets faster. The system is unique in that it allows existing video surveillance cameras owned by private business partners to be integrated and monitored in a centralized location. So here again, they point out that it's an unprecedented crime deterrence potential and the capacity to solve crimes and take criminals off the streets faster. Now, can you be 100% certain that that's the only thing they're going to use this for, that this private benefactor gave a million dollars to this program simply out of the goodness of his heart? Maybe. Maybe, and that our interests are perfectly aligned with the uh, government agents who use it. I'm not even saying the local cops or anything like that want anything but to solve the crimes. However, this stuff gets plugged in at the national level. There are people behind. I mean, that's why I, you know, I always think it's important to have local police versus federal police because there's at least somebody there who wants to keep his community safe and not just serve a higher purpose and a lot of times these guys do uncover maybe even in chicago maybe they really uncovered what was going to be a national political um pr stunt and they just weren't having it in their town i don't know but listen to this so i i I looked through what the aaron's rent to own chain uh did so i found an article around the time of this uh the original article i was reading to you from And it says Aaron's rent-to-own chain settles FTC charges that it enabled computer spying by franchisees. Listen to it. Have you heard of this, Binkley? No. It's it's shocking. I hate to, like, read, read, read. I never read. But these, I I can't summarize it better than this. Aaron's, a national Atlanta-based rent-to-own retailer, has agreed to settle FTC charges that it knowingly played a direct and vital role in its franchisees' installation and use of software on rental computers that secretly monitored consumers, including by taking webcam pictures of them in their homes. According to the FTC's complaint, Aaron's franchisees used the software which surreptitiously tracked consumers' location, captured images through the computer's webcam, including those of adults engaged in intimate activities, and activated key loggers that captured a user's login credentials for email accounts and financial and social media sites. Consumers have a right to rent computers free of cyber spying and to know when and how they are being tracked by a company, said Jessica Rich, director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection. By enabling their franchisees to use this invasive software, Aaron's facilitated a violation of many consumers' privacy. The company alleges that Aaron's knew about the privacy-invasive features of the software, but nonetheless allowed its franchisees to access and use the software known as PC Rental Agent. In addition, Aaron's stored data collected by the software for its franchisees and also transmitted messages from the software to its franchisees. In addition, it provided the franchisees with instructions on how to install and use the software. Uh... The software was the subject of related FTC actions earlier this year against the software manufacturer and several rent-to-own stores, including Aaron's, that used it. It included a feature called Detective Mode, which in addition to monitoring keystrokes, capturing screenshots, and activating the computer's webcam, also presented deceptive software registration screens designed to get computer users to provide personal information. Under the terms of the proposed consent agreement with the FTC, Aaron's will be prohibited from using monitoring technology that captures keystrokes or screenshots or activates the camera or microphone on a consumer's computer, except to provide technical support requested 
by the consumer. So this is Aaron's. So I would like to go back to the original article, which at the end, in a passing sentence says, in an, uh, so louder milk video integration center gave a million bucks to Atlanta to monitor, to incorporate private and public cameras for the monitoring for prevention of crime. Thank you, Frost. In an unrelated twist, Loudermark founded this company. He's not associated with it, which he, he may not be. Like, I'm not, certainly, it doesn't name a person as being responsible for this. But I think it's deliberately deflective to say in an unrelated twist, these guys who are providing police cameras use that exact kind of thing for nefarious purposes you know, in a in a in a story that's supposed to be about the dangers of the surveillance. I don't know. Yeah, that's weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you but can't I mean, just trust people with that technology. Does this does this story uh, does it surprise you, Binkley, at all that this is the ha- I mean, never heard about this? It doesn't surprise me at all. No. That, that I've never heard of it. Yeah, right. that that's what doesn't surprise me. But but it's pretty shocking that this is in the record that there's a there is a an established. Um, so you could say what could possibly go wrong? You know what could possibly these people they're they're using these <laughs> ten thousand surveillance cameras for our benefit. So shut up. You know. Yeah, they're but, not gonna look at the stuff we don't want them to look at. Just trust them. Right, and I'm 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 not even just saying like look, there's a potential for abuse because this company in Switzerland did this to some Swiss people. This is the company, you know, whose founder also funded the surveillance network that we're supposed to trust. Yeah. So I want that to be absolutely 100% transparent. And there's no reason, you know, it's just there's a risk that there are backdoors in this stuff that they're not being used 100% in our, for our benefit. That's the only thing I'm worried about. And, and a first step towards that is to make sure that any camera that is monitored without a, a specific search warrant, according to the terms of the Fourth Amendment, is uh, made open, available to everyone. And see if you like that. If you like that, then we can have that discussion. And we get to watch cameras inside all of their offices and stations as well. So. Well, presumably they have their own network. Of, yeah, we should anyway. Like, I actually am a huge believer in individual privacy and a zero believer in our agents who we pay, who are simply an extension of our own right to self-defense, having the privacy. So let's see. Uh, oh, Helen... Hang on the line. I think we should go to a quick break so I can give you a little more airtime and uh, and we will get to your call. Uh, anybody else wants to call 800-WSB-TALK, you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. We're going to continue this conversation. We've got more. Um, I do want to talk about the uh, hate crime laws and if they work or not. I'm going to do that at the bottom of the hour. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Have you ever questioned the nature on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I have a prize pack for you. We have two passes to an advanced screening of Captain Marvel Tuesday, March 5th at Regal Atlantic Station. Set in the 90s, Captain Marvel is the first female-led film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and arrives in theaters Friday, March 8th. So if you want a chance for that, call 404 741 0750. First to call, we'll get that prize pack. And uh, I'm going to go to the phones. I'm going to go to Helen, just passing through. Hey, Helen, you're on the phone with Monica. Hi, Monica. Just several things here with uh, law enforcement and cameras and lights. We just came out of Florida and there's blue lights, you know, and all those stoplights. And I, I actually think it's good because, you know, I'm sure it helps insurance agencies with accident disputes and all that. But um, for me, as a private citizen, you know, it makes me behave a little better when I know those blue lights are out there. But as far as the Chicago stuff and the police, uh, I have to say, we're living in a day where we need we need to help law enforcement. Law enforcement needs all the help they can get. And I just, you know, my husband was reminding me of how recently they put a policeman in jail for some dash cam that they had that they proved the police was in the wrong. But I truly think they need all the help they can get with um, 
cameras. And I remember several years ago, before they even had these home security systems, my sister, way before her time, she had one. And she was out shopping and got a phone call that there were criminals in her house. They caught them red-handed. So I just, I don't have a home security system, but I would like to. Yeah, I I think that there's a a double-edged sword here. So I do believe that, I mean, if you have home cameras, it definitely helps you identify people. Uh, I find that, but there's a bigger, there's a lot of ways to keep yourself secure. Uh, There's, I have a alarm system at home and you can leave it on while you're in there and you can leave it on at night. It's very effective. You have, you pay someone to monitor it, uh, privately, but the, the bigger issue in, in my opinion is that if you have constant surveillance by government agents and we're talking constant, it's called 24 seven, uh, it's total information awareness was the first federal program for it. And it desired 24 seven monitoring of everyone. So it would be cameras, with facial recognition and gate recognition. And you have your own profile, and they write down every where you are the entire time. Now, your phone does it for them now, and, and you can actually look. There's a place in your phone where you can go and find where you've been. They can completely monitor you. Uh, but here's the thing. If they can monitor you completely all the time, the reason the Fourth Amendment says that they have to actually be looking for something specific after you committed a crime is that that surveillance and invasion like that was being used by the British government to prevent rebels, revolutionaries, from uh, fostering the cause of independence in this country. So it's there. We have privacy so that we can conspire against the watchers who abuse their power. I mean, this is an experiment in self-limiting government. I'm not sure that's possible, self-limiting government, but it it might be. Uh, if it is, we need recourse against them. They cannot have inf- – actually, the logo, the motto of the Total Information Awareness Program was uh, Scientia es Potentia, I think. Knowledge, science knowledge is power. And we also know that power corrupts. So if you give them 100% of the information, at the very least, we should have 100% of the information. So let all their monitoring and all that be in a public forum. And if you're not comfortable with that, you have to ask why. And if you aren't comfortable with that, then then that's when you have to push back on it. But the problem is there is a potential for abuse of power there. And uh, and they they act like – and not just – Government power, as we saw with the Aaron Rents thing, they use their surveillance technology to spy on you for whatever reason. Maybe, I don't know what Aaron Aaron was doing with it, but you could use it to blackmail people. There was a whistleblower, the John Brennan whistleblower of the second underwear bomber, Sockleben, who uh, blew the whistle on an inside government operation that had the potential to be a false flag, and he's in jail for kitty porn because they were looking at his computer. I mean... Good. If he's doing kiddie porn, then he needs to not do that and can be punished for that. But what if he wasn't even doing it or they wouldn't have arrested him for it unless uh, except for political purposes. So there's there's risk involved. Let's uh, get to more calls after the break. 800 WSB talk. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. She knew. Nobody believed it. On News 955 at AM 750, WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB, and I always try to get back to the touchstone of the Bill of Rights, which is not a list of your rights. It's a list of rights that you need to ensure to protect yourself against a government that you just imbued a ton of power to. So there are protections and rights from the government. You have endless rights, but these are protections against the government, and it's a very short list. So I want to stick to it. Yet what the surveillance network that uncovered the horrendous Jussie Smollett hoax or supposedly did, we're not even sure they're right yet, that the conclusion is right because he still maintains his innocence. Uh, But I read this good article in Activist Post about the surveillance state as relates to the Jesse Smollett alleged hoax. <laughs> uh, so th- there was an, uh, a sentence in here. It says there's a new type of court case that has been slowly but steadily 
emerging within the American legal system, alleged crimes being detected from data supplied by the interconnected network of government surveillance combined with a range of smart home devices. This appears to be rewriting the very nature of the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments to the Constitution. And uh, I don't think we have time to get into all. We have to continue over the, as we progress down this road in our society, I will continue to use the Bill of Rights as a touchstone. But just that sentence alone reminded me of Michael Chertoff, who uh, was the Department of Homeland Security head, and I believe he was also an investor in those horrendous machines at the airport, that whole body scanning machine uh, that emerged after the first underwear bombing episode, which remains to be a bit fishy sounding to me. Uh, But he, Binkley, it's funny because when I read this paragraph, I thought of a Chertoff clip we had played before on the air, and I didn't know that you at the same time had a Chertoff quote relevant to this. What was the quote? And then we'll play the clip, and then I'll get to some calls. He said, I don't think there's another city in the U.S. that has an extensive and integrated camera network as Chicago has. So I would say then Chicago should have the lowest crime rate, and it doesn't. It has the highest crime rate, and I believe Vermont has the lowest crime rate and has the most uh, the least restrictive gun ownership laws. I, I could be wrong, could be like a marginal, you know, close to that, but it's pretty close, if not the actual lowest. So I'm not saying causation, correlation. I mean, clearly you're going to want more cameras when you have more crime, but I want to know that's what it's being used for. It's never abused. It's an evidence that it has, that it does get abused. And if it's public, if they don't need a warrant for it, I want access to it all the time, all of it, every bit of it, forever. If they're going to store it, then we need access to those archives as well. But I want to hear – so this guy said they did um, uh, reporting on the impact on the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments of this stuff. I want to hear what Chertoff said some years ago about what we should anticipate in this new age. Let's hear that clip. The second thing is our legal principles have not kept up with the new challenges. Uh, you know, one of the, the problems I think we faced right after 9-11 is rules had been written for dealing with foreign intelligence and how we, we surveil it. Back in the days of, you know, we were worried about the Soviet Union or, or other countries, and while we still have concerns about nation states, the issue of terrorism is now equal in, in importance. And we didn't have a legal model that helped us deal with that. So. One of the things I think Congress hasn't done and needs to do is to actually sit down and think through uh, in a bipartisan way, what is the legal architecture we need to deal with this 21st century challenge? This is a big uh, canard, like a, a, a red herring. It's an excuse. They use this excuse of terrorism, drugs, crime, even as a way to tell us that our legal principles are inadequate. But legal principles have emerged over thousands of years of civilization to respond to uh, to piracy, to terrorism, to clashes of all kinds, to uh, foreign uh, threats. They are principles for a reason, and they don't need to be rewritten. We need to think. You need to respect the sovereignty of other countries, for example, before you destabilize the system these principles were made for. So you have to, that's what the boundaries are for. You have your rights and you need to respect other people's rights or you have this whole new, you know, that that is the foundation of the expression American exceptionalism. They tell you it doesn't mean that. They tell you it means American extraordinariness, but it's exception to these rules. You don't rewrite legal principles. They are fundamental you abide by them, and then you don't get into trouble. Uh, but that's not his job. So I'm going to keep going with some calls. Um, I'm going to go to Kim and then David. Kim, you are on with Monica. Hi, Kim. Hi, Monica. Thanks for taking my call. An excellent topic today. Um, I think two things. Uh, well, let me add to that first. Uh, I do agree with you. Any public um, monitoring should be transparent and available to the public. Um, number two, I think it's real important to remember that anytime you're talking about technology, you're talking about a game of whack-a-mole. And by that, I mean, as soon as the government figures out a way to monitor, there will come a way to 
for those who don't want to be monitored to not participate in that. Uh, and that's just the fact of technology. So- I'm not sure about that. Like, I think if we go to a cashless society, you're never going to be able to pay your babysitter under the table again. Oh, I, wow. I couldn't disagree with you more. And I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the, the very proof. What are you going to pair word, with? The, the dark web. So think about, think about how profound the dark, the dark web is. But once you put it in the technology, it is de facto monitorable. They tell you it's not, but I don't believe that. Well, but see, there's always something coming up, like like uh, eCoin. There's always something coming up to to. Break. I think that's the most monitorable thing there is. Cash, gold are less monitorable than that. Well, they, you think they are, but they're, they're, there's always a way to break whatever monitor, monitorable technology comes out. And, and when you look at the history of technology, every step the government has made to monitor over here, somebody comes up with a new solution over there. And you know, I just government... disagree with that. I think we are way, way ahead of them, and I think we actually give them the capability to undermine what we've created to to level up so that we can continue spending money. Remember when Stuxnet was released into Iran? Yeah. Like, oh, they have our yeah. thing now. It's like, yeah, how'd they get it? And And what does it do to you? Now you can double your spending because you need to – up it. I feel like it actually makes me think that we should have a uh, any any defense, any of that. We should never sell it to anybody. That you should keep of it course. to yourself, yeah. and then yeah. we wouldn't be vulnerable to it in the future. But what they do is they create it, they give it away, and then they have to battle it. Well, I think it's a scam. I, I don't think it's the government giving it away. It, it would be a private inventor. Who well, what? Who gave be. away Stuxnet? You know, I, I don't have the answer to that, but, but I mean, I, I think I, they know, caught it because we like released Stuxnet, it. Uh, yeah, I feel like something like Stuxnet was put out purposely by the by military for because we knew that once somebody thought they had something that we didn't have the the uh, answer to, we put a back door in it and we watched how they deployed it. We watched what they're you know. I don't know. I think we rever- they reverse engineered it. I don't think they actually used it. We didn't give it to them. They found it, and then they reverse engineered it. I think we're at odds here, and I want to move on to my uh, to just get a quick um, hate crime. Uh, I want to address this article I read because it's important because a Republican, I, I can't see the article at my fingertips, but is suggesting hate crime legislation in Gwinnett, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go to David. David, you are on with Monica. Monica, thank hey, you for taking my call, and I hope yeah. WSB wakes up and makes you the next board. Ah, thank you. you I am. I am now. Yes, I. I did. Uh, my libertarian star rose in the wake of the great boards. Go. Okay. Uh, thing. Thing about hate crime legislation is the government has no bill. No. No authority to tell me who I can love and who I can hate. Bottom line, period, end of story. If I go out and I kill someone, if I injure someone, if I take someone's right to life, liberty, or property, then punish me. But you cannot punish my thoughts. My thoughts are mine, right or wrong, moral or immoral. They belong to me. And the way this hate crime legislation is being written, it seems – that me, as a white male, am the only one that's susceptible to it. Well, I'll tell you, I'm reading this really good article, uh, beginning of the questioning. It's uh, from Pace Law Review, September 2016. The author is Brianna Alonghi. Um, Negative ramifications of hate crime legislation. It's time to reevaluate whether hate crime laws are beneficial to society. And some of the things that you're saying um, are addressed in this. One is... Yes, you you are entitled to your thoughts, uh, cutting edge thoughts, revolutionary thoughts, paradigm shifting thoughts, uh, stuff that makes the world a better place are abs- uh, often, if not always, uh, rejected, suppressed, especially by the powerful who want to maintain the status quo. So, so things that like conspiracy theories considered like uh i i believe the next step is they're going to consider conspiracy theories hate thought because uh they're saying real people get hurt by these conspiracy theories yeah, monica my, my my point here is real real quick on this i know you're short on time 
If I want to, and I God, I do not want to do this. Anybody's listening, it's my friend. I do not Watch want to do this. Watch what you're saying. But, but if I want to mirror the thoughts of Adolf Hitler, that is my business. Now, the second, the nanosecond that my thoughts become action, punish me. Well, that's a little tricky because, uh, I mean, you would rewrite even conspiracy, racketeering, stuff like that. I'm not even saying that those are legitimate laws, but there are there can be blurry lines of when a, when a crime starts. But the thoughts, there is the thought element of a crime and also of a mortal sin is similar. You have to have an actus reus, so you have to do the thing. And you have to have mens rea. You have to have the intention to do the act. This takes it back to where what your motive is, what your feeling is, what your emotion is. But in reality, you can't really determine that. It may not be possible to control, but you want to control how people act. And and you want to make sure that now accidents do happen. It's only a crime if you meant it to happen. And that mental state is important. But it does – a lot of this stuff does backfire, especially because – a lot uh, that the supposedly the stuff is supposed to be defending minorities, but uh, a lot of the crime is uh, it doesn't it doesn't it goes in all directions. So white people use it against black people, and um, the whole the whole intention of the of uh, identifying groups and all that kind of stuff can backfire it can cause a lot of resentment it sends young people to jail where they learn racial division in a way that they would never see in regular society so let me wrap it up after the break i gotta take a quick one this is monica perez monica perez now there is a president who may have been elected but the real man in charge lives several miles underground on news 95.5 at am 750 wsb I didn't get to all the stuff I wanted to tell you out of this law review article, but one of the reasons that perhaps, if it isn't just a big hoax within a hoax, that Chicago put all this time and effort into the Jesse Smollett case is that there is a lot of federal money dedicated to hate crime investigations to the point where you can actually get $100,000 per investigation from the feds if you focus on hate crime stuff. So this was really uh, – could – encourage misallocation of resources but binkley told me something at the break which i found to be quite ironic so let me share that with me there was a story in the babylon b which is a satire news site with the headline jesse smollett offered job at cnn after fabricating news story out of thin air this is a satire site and snopes went ahead and debunked it anyway yeah so i think that there was a jesse smollett thing where it's his mother's maiden name was Harris, and so there's this article that had a lot of like good stuff. Picture of Smollett with Kamala Harris, picture of Smollett with Obama, all this stuff like good stuff that I consider interesting. And it show and it says Kamala Harris is his aunt, which she definitely isn't. It's very easy to debunk that, and I thought that was a an article just teed up for Snopes to debunk to make any idea that there's something deeper to the story seem. Uh, fraudulent. But the irony of that headline uh, is that Al Sharpton actually did get that. Al Sharpton uh, took the Tawana Brawley hoax and ran with it. I mean, you're probably too young to remember this, but I think it was November 1987, happened to be the exact same month that Bonfire of the Vanities was released, describing the exact same thing uh, or something very similar. He really either Wolf captured the zeitgeist or Brawley. I doubt she read that book like before it came out, but they Twana Brawley was going to get in trouble at home. So she made up this story of being um, raped and abused by white cops. And uh, she was just scared of her stepfather and the mother was, too. So she supported the story. But Al Sharpton ran with it and it was really uh, a big scandal. And then he got his CNN show. Al Sharpton said he should have been disgraced. Uh, or, you know, exposed as a charlatan. But instead, he's he was actually consulting with Kamala Harris just the other day, and the headline said, not talking about Jesse Smollett. I'm like, oh, they're probably talking about Jesse Smollett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so she's going to Al Sharpton. Uh, she, I saw, really, I tweeted at Monica Perez show, a, like, one-minute clip of Kamala Harris. They said, 
when you tweeted about Jussie Smollett's story being a modern-day lynching, you know, do you stand behind that? And she's looking around like, I tweeted that? <laughs> you know, she's definitely looking yeah. to see which of her tweeters tweeted that. And she and Cory Booker, I think, were putting out an anti-lynching statute on the day that this happened. And I just have to say, lynching is illegal already. So let's <laughs> stay yeah. away from that. And uh, so, Binkley, tell people how they can hear our podcasts and uh, and help us out even. They can go to the com. Prop, short for propaganda, com. What was the second question? How they can help us out. I would say, you know, uh, anywhere that they can subscribe or share. You can subscribe, helps. share. You can send it to a friend who you think will like the show. Or you can donate through PayPal or you can become a Patreon. We need all the help we can get right now. We're getting suppressed everywhere. So That is true. We have to rebuild our website. But it is, it is uh, up and running, but it will be back bigger and better than ever coming soon so check that out and uh we'll be back we have two shows next weekend and two shows the weekend after so check us out saturday and sunday the next couple of weeks right here on wsb and go to the for show times this is monica perez later